On today's episode, we take the most amazing, most sparkly, most interesting listener questions in our seasonal advice episode. Stay tuned to have all your questions answered, answered, answered. Hello, witches. This is just a wee teaser for you. We are developing something very, very, very exciting for you that we're going to tell you about in the coming episodes. We're not going to say too much about it now, but it does start with the initials H and P. It's not Harry Potter. You might want to save the date, June 2nd. Here at Strange Magic, Amanda and I talk about our views on tarot and the ways in which we practice magic. And we understand that other people have different ways of practicing and different interpretations of the tarot, and that's totally okay. Take what you'd like and leave the rest. Here we are. Back again, back again. Back again, answering some listener questions. And I have to say, our listeners truly have the best questions. These questions are so great. I cannot. Let's just hop right in there. Yeah, let's just start. So, okay, so the first question... How might we disconnect ambition from patriarchal capitalist notions of success? I mean, did we say our listeners were the best or did we say our listeners were the I love this question so much. It is the best question. And I'm just going to say before we get into it, I happen to know this person. And what I love the most about this is that this person who is asking this question is very, very young. And I did not even start thinking about things like this until I was well into my 20s. And I know that this person is just at university and they're young and it just warms my heart that people are already unpacking and thinking about these kinds of questions because it just makes me feel hopeful for the future. I know the world will be saved by the children. Unfortunately for them that they have to do that, but... So why don't you get started with your answer to this question? Yeah, we'll do. It's I do have some one. thoughts about yeah, it. So, so first of all, I'm thinking about how the patriarchal capitalist notions of success are all about money and power. Mm. And I literally know no one personally who considers those to be the most important things. Like none of my clients are like, I want money and power. I mean, of course, everybody wants money, but most people that I know want actually the magical ratio of security and freedom. So for me, notions of success financially are almost completely bound up in security and freedom. So by security, I mean having a place to live that I like, some place that's not going to be taken away from me. I want, for security, we want access to healthcare. If we get sick, we don't want to be out on the street. If we get old, we don't want to live in a hovel and die in a ditch. But, (laughs) well, I know what I'll be nightmaring about tonight. Right? But that's when we we say that we want financial success, usually what that, that's really what we're talking about is we're also thinking we're, we're afraid that if we don't have that, Mm. then it's going to have very real physical consequences for us. So beyond that, security also means having access to beauty, living somewhere beautiful, being able to take care of my body, be able to eat healthy food, being able to rest. All of these things to me feel like something that should just be a fundamental aspect of life. Like that seems like something everybody should have access to. And unfortunately, in our culture, that's only accessible if we are wealthy. And so it's no wonder that people want to pursue wealth. But also the idea of freedom. 
And by freedom, I mean the freedom to create what we want, to explore, to learn whatever calls to our heart or our imagination. I mean, that's why so many of us are trying to get money or success in the first place is because if we have money, then we imagine we'll be able to take the time out to do the things that we really want to do, like travel or paint or study astronomy or whatever it is. We want that success because then it protects us from having to live the lives that we don't want to live. And then as far as like success, meaning power and awards and like everybody loving you, Mm. we want that because it implies the first two. So if you win an Oscar, then you'll probably have money and you can get, you can work on whatever project you want to work on. You can get it greenlit. People around you are going to treat you like you matter. They're going to respect your ideas, invite you to their parties, These are all the reasons why we work so hard and are so ambitious because we believe on some level that the only way to get security, freedom, and social connection, which is a fundamental human need, is to have it through the way that white supremacist capitalist patriarchy prescribes for us. But I believe as a witch that our work has to come in two parts. One, creating a world for everyone where everyone has access to beauty, like trees and clean water and healthcare and the meaningful pursuit of the things that we love. And then we have two prongs, right? When we have to work politically and then we also have to work personally. So we have to remember why we're doing what we're doing. When we're writing a poem, remember who we're writing it for, why we're writing it. If we're creating an artwork or a business, what kind of world do we want to create by doing this work? To it's me, very emperor of you. Why, thank you. I mean, I'm revisioning the emperor. But to me, that's why our spiritual practices are so important because they help us come back to center to remember what we really care about and why we're doing what we're doing because the forces of curiarchy are so strong and serious and have such serious consequences that they're constantly trying to pull us off balance. They make us forget what we really care about. They make us forget the connections that we have to other people. They make us think we have to hustle and stress and panic. Those forces are real, but our creative work and our spiritual work is an act of resistance against that. And our work as witches keeps us strong and reminds us that we have agency and power. So for me, Mm. practicing magic with in solidarity with other witches is a way to stay connected to my true values and beliefs and also to take political action in the world. Yeah, I love your answer so much, Amanda. There's so much to unpack there. It's also beautiful and it's also true. When I was thinking about this question, my answer is slightly different than yours, but also kind of the same. It's kind of how it goes around here at Strange Magic. I recently was thinking about these ideas of the muggle CV and the witch CV. So these two different versions, right? The resume. One is like the muggle, normal person who doesn't practice witchcraft or believe in flying scarabs or tarot or anything like that. And then there's the witch CV, maybe those who do. So someone's muggle CV, their like ambition, the patriarchal notions, so on and so forth, is going to look a lot different than someone's witch CV, right? A muggle CV is like, I went to the school, I was seeing these publications, blah, 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 you get it. It's what you were talking about before, Amanda, the external validation and pursuit of acknowledgement, power, security. But it's also a hamster wheel. It's also a rat race. And most of the world abides by this perspective. 
And actually, I think that's totally okay. I'm not actually judging it because so many people feel secure and comfortable and it makes sense for them and I understand it and I get it. Personally, I believe it's the matrix and I don't necessarily buy into any of it. And I think about the witch CV as being a lot different. It's a CV that almost no muggles will be impressed by. It's like, I healed my daddy issues. I found a way to regulate my nervous system and keep my PTSD in check. It's like, I've enhanced my ability to listen and talk to trees. It's like, hey, I survived the worst year of my life and I'm barely still here, but I'm here, right? We can't really put this on a CV to sort of get a job or get a degree, but in a lot of ways for me personally, and I think for a lot of humans, these are the things that are most kind of important in the world. There's also this idea about ambition and different spectrums and levels and layers of ambition. I think ambition, especially for queers, for women, for people who've been socialized as feminine, it can be a dirty word. Like we're not supposed to be out and open about it. But for me personally, I feel really comfortable owning my ambition. I love that I'm ambitious. My ambition saved my life. That's in part because my ambition is more of a witch ambition. I want to make really important art, but mostly it's because I want to develop as an artist, not because I want like an award or to be on the cover of a magazine. I want to hone my skills as an intuitive psychic so I can help my clients more in that line of work, you know? So there's other ambitions. I want to be more connected in my love relationship. I want to make a lot of money so I can be secure. I want to become more of an activist. I want to recover from my leukemia. So there are some muggle things and some witch things kind of swirled around within there. Ambition gets toxic when you put the cart before the horse. When you express and intake the toxic forms of our capitalist white supremacist patriarchy, and that's what you end up basing your worth on or basing other people's worth on. That's when it gets tricky. When you think less of folks who don't have muggle CVs or compare yourself to folks whose muggle CVs are like on fire, right? When we forget about the system we're operating in that we're all affected by, I think there gets to be trouble. There's trouble because we get wrapped up in the hamster wheel of needing to always prove ourselves through worth, through power, through money, through fame, whatever it is that you're going after, right? So my answer to this beautiful, sweet listener who asked this question is that it's okay to be ambitious and it's okay to have your goals And it's okay also to be non-capitalistic, and it's probably going to have to be a mixture of these things throughout your life, like a swirl of the witch and a swirl of the muggle. And if you're lucky enough, you can come to a place where you're doing both, where you value and you honor yourself outside of the patriarchy and outside of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Okay, next question. What's one thing you did that really turned the tides in terms of using these tools to help you move into a space of momentum towards living your best life? You know, no big deal. (laughs) Just asking us to solve the world in six minutes or less. What is, but so can we, Yeah. so what does that question mean to you? Let's unpack it, right? I mean, I think that my first question is, what even is a best life? That is a great question. 
I know that's not the answer you want to hear because that's not the answer I would want to hear. But, you know, my first answer is, of course, the issue is the problem of the question Hmm. because it's not just one thing. It's everyone wants the, you know, it was I prayed every day or I had a green smoothie every day. It's not just one thing. It's not just one thing. It's always a lot of things repeated over time. Yeah, I feel like you're getting to something really interesting, which is that a lot of the time we think like, oh, if we just have this one answer, like exactly like you said, like if I just take this one vitamin, then everything's going to be better. Or if I leave my this relationship or if I move my house, then I'm going to have. I'm going to say something as you're talking, it stepped in really annoying. Like what? this person's really not going to want to hear this. Oh, Gentle questioner. I'm going to counter and I'm going to say, actually, you are living your best life right now. Wow. So you have to accept that and you have to pay attention to that. This is it. There's always going to be somewhere else you're going to want to go or someone else to compare yourself to. But you have to accept where you are now and accept the responsibility that on a certain level, we talked about it in the Wheel of Fortune last week, but on a certain of what we can control and what we can't control. But on a certain level, we have to accept where we are right now, be grateful for that right now. And that's how you begin. I love that. And that is so true. And I also wonder, though, if we we're just going to be really literal, like, do you have a favorite tool that you feel like made a really big difference in your life? Because I do have one for me. I mean, I do, but it's a little bit longer. So maybe you should go first. Well, so I feel like things really turned around for me. Like my life radically changed when I built a serious altar. I mean, I grew up as a witch. I know how to build an altar. But I I had a turning point. I had a vision where the goddess came to me and she said, you need to make space for me in your life. And I listened and all the altars that I'd had up to that point were just kind of random assemblages of objects that I thought were cool. Basically, they weren't really serious. And then when I made this altar to her and I was really selective about the things that I put on it and I was really intentional about wanting to call her into my life. And then things really transformed because then I was sitting in front of this altar every day. I was I was giving offerings. I was lighting incense. Mm-hmm. It really helped me to connect to my spiritual practice every day. And then from that, everything in my life, as in the Wheel of Fortune, kind of spun around that. And everything shifted for me after that. I started, the life that I wanted started to appear for me. Yeah, I'm going to be serious, you know, and actually answer the listener's question and not keep putting it back on them and be annoying. You know, similar to you, Amanda, the first thing is I just started taking myself and my life seriously. I started choosing my life and my desires and my goals for myself. That took precedence over avoidance, delusion, ceding my power. I choose I chose me. I took accountability and I decided that I was going to change and that I would do anything in the service and spirit of that change. And that rejections or people not treating me well or insulting me or ignoring me was not going to affect the fact that I was going to choose myself and I was going to choose not to quit. 
I started paying attention to my gifts, my desires, and investing in that. And that was about eight or nine years ago. The other thing that I will say, similar to you, Amanda, was that I just decided to get very disciplined and started practicing magic consistently. I wasn't disciplined. It was like a spell here, a spell there, a spell everywhere. I got really disciplined. Listeners are familiar that I teach classes on how to live magically with the moon and to co-create with lunar energy. And I don't want to sound like a grumpy old witch and be like, you have to do it this way or, you know, all these things. I always tell my students, you know, start where you are, do what you can do. Don't force it. Because I know that everyone's in a different place in their practice, right? I don't want to like alienate or shame anyone into thinking my way is the only way or you have to do things in this way. But this is what I will say and I will only speak for myself, me. I meticulously lived, disciplined, magically with the cycles of the moon literally for years I did not miss a lunar cycle. Good for you. And that is when things changed and grew. I focused my attention. I focused my awareness. And I did it. And everything started to change and grow. My relationship to self, to others, the world, and magic. And if I hadn't chosen to be committed, if I hadn't chosen to be devoted and disciplined, I don't know if I would have been able to make the change that I wanted to make otherwise. So it's like this person's asking for one thing. I guess the only things I can think of are discipline, consistency, and devotion. But that's already a lot of things. So there you go. Well, I think what you're getting at is really important, which is basically that you have to choose a tool and stick with it. And I think that that is one of the fundamental missteps or misunderstandings of people when they first start practicing magic is they try it once or they do one moon ceremony and they expect everything to be radically transformed from that moment but it takes time and so for me having that altar which meant I was doing my devotional practice consistently that's what really makes the change is that consistency. So I think it's really about whatever tool you use, whether it's giving offerings every day or working with the cycles of the moon or using a wand or following astrology or whatever it is, practicing tarot, that you do it consistently over time, record the results, pay attention, and then see what happens. But I really like this question. It really points out a major discrepancy in the way that people think about magic that actually, I feel like, offers amazing opportunity for growth. A woman. Next question. I'm always pulling the nine of swords. Thoughts or advice on finally navigating out of this? It's a good one. Dun, dun, dun. Nine of swords. Well, I think the first thing that pops into my head that we've never talked about on the show that we should talk about on the show. So here we are now talking about it. Here we are talking about it. No time like the present is this idea of repeating cards. 
This person has pulled the nine of swords over and over again in their daily pulls and spreads, all of these things. I think anyone who practices tarot understands has been there. They pull the card. It just keeps chasing them around. It feels like you're not getting the message. You don't know what's happening. What are some thoughts or advice on finally navigating this? This is the other part of the question that we can unpack. You know, the fact is this person is pulling the nine of swords, which is a very painful and hard card when you receive it. It's not the kind of card that you say, oh, yay, going to make a cake. You know, <laughs> this is great. It is a card, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, of a figure in the dark of the night, crying in bed, rife with anxiety. There's a bunch of swords hanging over their head. And it's a very, very dark depiction of sorrow or loneliness or nightmares, dark night of the soul, these kinds of things. Mm. So I think called what the nightmare card a lot of the time. I think what the person is asking is, how do I leave a situation that is hard or troubling for me? What do you think? Mm. The first thing that pops into my mind isn't that I think that it's about leaving a situation that's hard or troubling, but I think that that's a really interesting interpretation. For me, I always think of it as anxiety that may or may not be about an actual situation that you could do anything about. Because when I think of swords, I think of the mind and sort of mental things that trouble us about what might happen in the future or sort of obsessions that we might experience about stuff like that. Do you remember that painting by Goya? I think it's called The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters. And there's a person laying at their desk and their forehead is in their hands and there's all these like demons floating around them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. It's kind of a famous etching, but to me it gets at this idea of being haunted by all these possibilities of things that could go wrong. And so I think part of what Descartes is requiring us to do is to get those things down, to pull them out of the sky and get them down on paper a lot of the time. So we're keeping things that we're anxious about in our mind. But if we can get them down on paper, or make a list of them and start focusing on them, things might not be as overwhelming as you thought. And then you can start to handle them. I feel like with swords, the answer is always finding ways to get more clarity. That's interesting. When I meant finally navigating out of this, mm. I thought the person was talking about how to get out of a situation where they keep pulling oh, the right, same. Right. That's what I was talking mm. about Like when I said that, just to clarify. Mm. But for me, the Nine of Swords often has to do with taking on the burdens, the projections, or the fears, or the worries of other people around you. When I get this card or the Ten of Swords... Quite frankly, I'm happy. I'm happy because it's telling me that I can reject things that people are putting on me. What are you carrying that is not yours to carry? Is it shame, disappointment, blame? The first thing that popped into my head with this person in particular are two things. One is if things are starting to pop up in their dreams, if their dream life is being activated in a way that is hard for them to deal with that, to get a sleep hygiene down, to make sure that their sleep is restful, to keep a dream journal, see what's coming up with them when they wake up. And the second thing is to do some cord cutting, to realize what am I attached to? Who is putting things on me? 
where can I put my burden down? What is no longer mine to carry? There's forgiveness work that can happen. And then there can also just be a really simple question of, is this actually mine? Like, is this actually my stuff? Or is it a projection of someone else or someone else trying to like drag me in to what's going on with them? I guess I thought the question was also about like, what do you do when a Mm. card just follows you around, Mm. you know? But I think that what you do is you solve the riddle of the card, which is what we're talking about now, which is kind of answering what the card is calling you to deal with. And like you, I also agree that the Nine of Swords is often about dealing with criticism and what I understood you to mean by people putting things on you. Because that's really about criticism. And so one thing that we want to determine when we're dealing with criticism is, is this valid? Is this a helpful bit of information that I'm being presented? Maybe this is something that I could actually use. Or is it just there to harm you? Is it really a knife that's just there to hurt you? And so dealing with criticism and learning how to deal with that is really important. And then managing stress learning techniques to manage stress they're out there look them up google them meditation all of that ask yourself too gentle listener what needs to end is there a situation that needs to end is there some kind of stressful situation that you're getting pulled into do you just have to finally make a decision that's been keeping you up at night or that has been affecting your psyche or your subconscious what do you need to say no i'm not doing this anymore or no i need to move on as you know, Amanda, nines and tens in general have to do with culminations, endings, just pulling the plug on what is no longer serving you, especially with that nine of swords. So gentle listener, the last but not least little thing I'll say, if this card comes up for you again, or if anyone listening has a card that comes up that they don't like, also think about how you're interacting with the card itself and take a different perspective. Ask yourself, What can this card teach me? How can this card be helpful? How can I interact with this card in a loving or gentle way instead of a kind of recoiling or resistant way? Yep. I second all of that. So what if you're a witch, but you live in a place where you don't feel safe to be out about being a witch? What do you think, Sarah? What do you think, Amanda? Uh, I think, first of all, that there are a lot of great places to be a witch online. You know, Mm. online communities, reading groups. There's so many great ones out there. You could go on Goodreads. Do you know that website, Goodreads? Mm -mm. It's a literary website where people review books. But so if you choose a book that's one of your favorite books on witchcraft you might be able to find recommendations by other folks uh and start a sort of online literary community i i really believe witches are everywhere though so if you keep looking in your area you'll find some but i was also thinking about Mm. i was also thinking about going to witch conferences sarah and i are going to be at a witch conference at the witches confluence in october in the bay yeah, so if you go there, I think you'll meet other witches, other folks who are interested in witchcraft or paganism or whatever it is that you're interested in. And I bet you that'll be enough to sustain you. You'll make relationships and connections there that you could maybe start an online group for other people who are experiencing similar things. I think that's one way of handling it. 
I have a couple things to say about this that may or may not be helpful, but my point is to be helpful and soothing. One is like in queer culture, there was this thought at first of coming out, like Mm -hmm. National Coming Out Day, like tell everyone you know you're gay. You know, I'm a homosexual. That's why I'm talking about this. (laughs) So, you know, tell your family, you know, or whatever. But there are some people such as if you're trans or Mm non-binary it's actually not safe to come out. Mm-hmm. It's actually really unsafe and that some people have to be quiet about it or can't come out publicly to their family because their family will disown them or be violent mm-hmm. or they can't come out to their coworkers because their coworkers might be violent and unsafe mm-hmm. or they might lose their job. So I also think sometimes there is this idea of like, oh, I have to come out. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to share everyone. I have to tell everyone. For another example, just to make it incredibly personal, like I'm very sick and I don't really talk about it a lot. Like I'm not like, hi, I'm Sarah. I'm really sick and I have a chronic illness Mm -hmm. because it's not safe. People will judge me. Certain clients, um, you know, maybe won't want to hire me because I'm sick and my health fluctuates. So the first thing I want to say to you, gentle listener, it's also okay like to not be out about something that you are, mm. if, especially if, yeah, you're not safe, if you're in the Bible Belt or if there's actual real violence associated with your identity, it's okay to not come out, you know, like it's okay to not share with your friends or your coworkers that you're interested in magic or you're interested in the craft. The other thing I want to say is, quite frankly, I'm again, I'm just making this about me. Um, You would look at me. You wouldn't think I'm like a witch. I don't have like a broom bumper sticker or like a (laughs) pinnacle on my car or anything Mm -hmm. like that. If you saw me walking down the street, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's the witch over there. You know, I'm not like telling everyone I meet at a party that I'm a witch. I'm not like, you know, all of these things in my life. Like being a witch is just something that I am. And it's just how I live my life. And so if you're a witch and you're living in a place where you don't feel safe, as long as you're living in a way that sustains you and makes you feel like you're living your best witch life, then that's okay. You don't need to tell everyone about it. You know, you don't have to be out in some way. You can find community, as Amanda said, on the internet. You can go to conferences. And I would also suggest if there are any kind of metaphysical shops or magical shops in your area and they have workshops or you can kind of hang out there, go there, hang out there, strike up a conversation with the person that owns it, sign up for a workshop or a class or a meditation. Because I also think the other question that is underlying this person's question is like, how do I meet community? Or like, how do I connect? Or how do I meet other people? Sometimes there is an element of just having to put yourself out there once in a while. Yeah, and just to follow up on that, I second everything that you say. And if it's not safe for you to come out of the broom closet, then yeah, definitely don't. I also want to say, though, for instance, in my own personal experience, that I really thought people were going to resist me and fight me and make fun of me and do all sorts of things like that. But in fact, the reception that I've gotten has been mostly the opposite. Mostly I've found that people are really intrigued. People are excited. People are inspired because there's a lot of people who are feeling drawn to witchcraft and magical practices right now who also feel alone and who also feel like there's no one that they can talk to about it. So you have to be judicious about when you come out about that stuff. And I also encourage you to... If you feel safe to say it and see what happens. And also a lot of the time, you know, with the people who initially 
rolled their eyes at me and thought it was so silly what I was doing are now coming to me for sessions with a client. So finally, I just wanted to say we're also in dialogue with people and community with people throughout space and time, like our witch ancestors, poets, artists, Sappho and Boudicca and Audre Lorde and George O'Keefe and Remedios Varro. These are people you can set up as like a coven on your altar and read their work and really investigate it and see yourself in dialogue with them. I feel like that's a really important thing to remember that you have this worldwide coven already. We're a part of it right now. And remember, there's a witch wherever you are. There's a witch wherever you are. Witches in a pickup truck, witches in the dark, witches in gay Paris, there's a witch wherever you are.